Welcome everyone to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy who finally has stopped chasing those imaginary butterflies with his butterfly net. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Sorry I stabbed you. I get stressed. The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 102, Shadowhawk Takes Flight is brought to you by Rich Kids Candy Corporation. Your M&Ms are brown, we'll flush them down. Pete, we want to give a big thanks to all our listeners, new and old, for checking out the Iron Fist podcast. Uh, it's been great fun, uh, I don't know, starting anew with this show, uh, while, of course, uh, keeping our eye on other Marvel things as they go on. So uh, thanks for checking it out, and can't wait to continue rocking on here, Pete. Love hearing from new listeners and old listeners alike. So, uh, you know, you you make this show what it is. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll keep on doing it. Time to step inside the dojo and deconstruct this episode. After our title card, Matt, literally where we left off, wind howling, and a nice transition there to Danny strapped into his bed uh who we assume is a male doctor he's wearing a uh, a medical coat matt he must be a, a trained licensed professional is to the side of danny's bed explaining that he is at birch psychiatric hospital um and danny of course saying he's uh not where he should be is uh, reminded by uh, this gentleman here, that uh, that's usually the first thing people say. But he can't loosen the straps. You know, word is you like to put up a fight. But he's not dangerous. Neither was the fella down the hallway before he bit a doc's nose off. Um, and then it gets, Matt, appropriately weird in that uh, the man tells Danny he needs to kill himself. It's the only real solution for any of us. He's tried four times. They keep saving him. It puts a fork to his neck. Was that a nod? It certainly is a is a a high octane start to things. Something that pulls the uh, the rug out from under the audience. Uh, also, the beginning of a number of these scenes inside the mental uh, the mental health facility um quickly kind of treading on i won't call it tropes yet but quickly treading on familiar territory uh with you know the notion of we're all crazy in here uh and and rather backed up uh once the doctor of course is revealed to be simon the patient um an orderly comes in he's your rather standard orderly what with uh a bit more of a uh, bit more of a rotund figure shaved head uh, not a particularly warm disposition. Um, he's there to clean up Danny Rand, but first Danny must swallow these pills first. They get somewhat forced down. I mean, I don't want to call uh, unfair uh, practices here on the orderly quite yet, but uh, it's enough to get those pills down with, uh, with intent, causing Danny to blur out and end that scene, Pete. Ward uh, joins the show here. He needs Joy to suddenly support his buy of a property in Brooklyn. These warehouses, what's this all about? Uh, real estate is Ward's domain, but 
Uh, she says she will back him. It'll be one less headache. Hey, what's the latest on the, the Danny Rand wannabe? Turns out Joy still feels uh, Essie. That's our, our first of the episode and sixth of the series thus far for drugging him. Um, but this feeling that she has, she's torturing herself. Um, I mean, if he survived the crash and 15 years uh, comes back with a tendency for violence, this guy needs help. At least that's how the Meachams are, um, shall we say, deceiving themselves. Um, they're not saints, but Ward says they're not the bad guys. Pete, a couple of takeaways from this, uh, this scene here with Ward and Joy. First, the notion, not spelled out super clearly, but clearly enough that Ward and Joy are not always on the same page, business-wise, family-wise. Um, again, it was clearly communicated enough. But also just, I thought it was a little muddy there. Um, and of course, we get the the recap from Ward that Danny Rand died in the Himalayas 15 years ago. Do we need recap at the top of the episode after the first one with the Netflix model? I'm not quite sure. Well, I mean, I can certainly see the side of the argument of people are going to watch these one at a time, uh, one a day, space them out that you recap that exposition, but given how it appears on Netflix, it certainly is a fair criticism in the midst of all the discussion, Matt, uh, about this show. Pete, I do always wonder what the discussion is uh, with people who have experience with the weekly model, how you hit these normal, uh, these normal things that other shows, other weekly shows do in terms of, working in dialogue to make sure the audience remembers last week's episode when last week's episode might be five minutes ago. Regardless, the story moves back to Danny, who's uh, flicking to the past, meditating on, t uh, on the top of a mountain. He sees the eagle um, that is, of course, in his mind. He's actually back in his room as uh, the real doctor walks in. Danny says he was focusing his chi uh, we kind of get a bit of a story clock set here. The doctor has 72 hours to observe Danny. Let's make the most of it. He unstraps Danny and starts to question him. Name, Danny Rand and I'm not dead. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure which is the first and which is the last there, but um, regardless, the doctor wants to hear more. Danny woke up in a snowdrift. It was cold. The plane was in pieces. Checked the cockpit. Two dead pilots. Saw the fuselage. Dad was dead as well. Mom... We flash back to her being pulled out of the plane. This is the second or third time we've seen this shot in two episodes. Again, what's for me personally, watching uh, with a couple of days in between, uh, I'm clear on the whole mom thing. Um, fine. Uh, regardless, though, we have Danny cold and hungry. And um, then we kind of, we're in this portion here, Pete, where there's lots of tell, not show. You know, the, the film and TV rules the opposite show, not tell. A lot of having this being told, although we do get to see, we are shown the monks Chodak and Tashi from the Order of the Crane Mother. Hope everybody's clear on that at home. They are warrior monks. Pete, buckling weight of exposition. We're being expositionized quite a bit here. I, I have to disagree, and I like that we're disagreeing in that, you know, you're saying tell, 
yet you're criticizing them that they're showing you parts of the flashback of the crash again. So you can't say that it, it's not happening. You also can't have your cake and eat it too. I'll, I'll play along with some of it. I, I think the, you know, I, I walk a fine line with Danny, with the, the, the petulance yet at the same time, if we're going to consider that he left the world when he was 10 years old, that's to be expected that he's kind of remained in that headspace, you know, no warrior monks, like, duh, why haven't you heard of these? Um, I think that's a really interesting and a really fair point. And one that on the one hand, I'm, that is the point of Danny last left, um, shall we say Western society, shall we say the, the world at large, um, I certainly don't want to be be excluding anyone, but this notion that when he last left this world, he was ten years old and maybe hasn't been around—I uh, don't want to say normal society because the, the monks seem like lovely guys, uh, Chodak and Tashi. But you know what I'm saying? Kind of this his cultural norm—he has not been around since he was a child. The flip side is, Pete, um, why are you telling this to me and not the story? I don't, I'm not clear. Just, it's a really, really excellent point of yours that some of this, some of his wide-eyed enthusiasm of like, you know, later on in the episode, not to, not to jump the timeline here, but later on in the episode when it's like, he explains the true origin of John Anderson, who we have yet to talk to right now, talk about right now, but when he lays that all out and then, okay, got it. So you want to come home. Oh, and then there was the mystical planes and the thing, the celestial positions. Like he doesn't have the filter to say, people aren't going to completely appreciate the realistic sounding. I bought a fake passport. They're not gonna be able to, to um, mix that in with the unrealistic sounding celestial planes and the order of the crane mother. So I need to give this to the doctor slowly. Instead, he has this enthusiasm of a child, uh, which makes a lot more sense. Now that you've explained it to me, Pete, this all under the umbrella of why didn't the show point this out to me why hasn't he said doc oh sorry you know the last time i was was talking to another new yorker i was 10 years old and then i as an audience member would say oh that's why he is somewhat socially inappropriate at times that's why he's a little socially rough right but again you're you're chastising the show for having to explain and here they're giving characterization and you're chastising them for not explaining the characterization (laughs) well perhaps so but only because you're nuanced take of the characterization is such that i'm like wow that's actually kind of a it's a minor but to my mind critical bit of understanding to say this explains why he doesn't he doesn't hit the he doesn't hit the brakes uh certainly or a couple of the emotional outbursts that he has oh my goodness this fits into fits into the category of 10 year old not not uh 25 year old now i have a place to put it instead it's just kind of like why doesn't he know not to knock stuff off the doctor's desk when you're in the mental health facility? Because that's only going to have you kept in there longer. Well, when we come up to John Anderson here and what happened to him, who who's he? Who's well, who? John Anderson, you know, not Mr. Anderson, Matt, but John Anderson, uh, the one with the passport picture uh, from Toronto, Canada, yeah, yeah. Uh, Danny's never seen that before. 
Um, but uh, when they they start talking about it, it's a situation that the the scene, uh, you know, doesn't overstay its welcome. But uh, what what winds up being, as you say, um, a, a scene that's about recap, that's about helping us at least to understand some of uh, Danny's perspective winds up with him uh, struggling in the restraints as the doctor leaves. The Meacham family is the personal victim of illegal immigration from the border of Canada. Just want to point that out there. Elsewhere, Colleen Wing is, uh, she's shopping and carrying her practice sword, as one does, don't you know? Is she being followed? It, it seems so. We see her walking, lots of walking. Um, however, where she is walking seems not to have the character of the other parts of New York City, as shown in Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. I know that, at least I believe, home base for all these shows in terms of uh, sound stages is Queens. That's not to say that you can't, you know, sh shift the production to an exterior location, but I initially was kind of like, the show's just walking, this is boring. Then I was thinking of all the other times the other shows have done that, and the park from Jessica Jones, uh, where, where uh, it's either a painter or a coffee vendor, or, you know, it, it pours, pours coffee on himself uh, under a word of Kilgrave, and the grit of uh, of uh, Hell's Kitchen for Daredevil and the the uh, the nuance and beauty of Harlem is seen in Luke Cage. This is just kind of Colleen Wing walking around in not visually interesting parts of of her neck of the woods. It felt like Hell's Kitchen, um, maybe <clears throat> in terms of the uh, the park where they're they're playing basketball. A uh, little further north, but as far as the streets, definitely did. Um, you know, when she's got a guy looking at her through the alley, and then the two other waiting under the overpass, and suddenly she's beating him down and tells Daryl that he may want to sound less like a fat duck. <laughs> Hearing his feet slap uh, away. And uh, his shoes are too big. She smelled uh, unnamed, uh, you know, student assailant and his garlic breath the minute he walked out the door. And uh, what the hell was that, Jenny? Were you doing yoga? You move about as fast as a pig swimming in gravery. This is a fail. Uh, she's trying to get him ready for the real world. They need to do better, Matt. Kind of like Simon is about to. Well, message sent by the dojo master. Her crew sucks, especially you, Jenny. Take that, your body image. Um, I guess, I mean, Pete, I genuinely hope I'm not coming across to the audience as as grumpy. In, fa in fact, I don't know. I'm, I'm a champion of this show. I watched this episode twice. Um, I hope to, to the benefit of my analysis, not to the detriment. Um... I'm not quite sure what we learn from this scene other than she's a she's a hard knuckle teacher of of the martial arts um and can beat up students which I would hope that any teacher can out uh out subject the subject which she or he teaches when with students um 
again, I'm not quite sure what the takeaway is from this scene other than, you know, I heard your feet, Daryl and Jenny. I'm going to use multiple ways to say you're heavy. Regardless, back to the hospital we go with uh, the orderly and Simon, the latter of which is going to be the tour guide for uh, for our pal, Danny Rand. Um, it's quickly spelled out that the hospital is quick to diagnose you and keep you. Uh, oh, and let's meet Dink and his two goons. They are bad. Say hello, Dink. Say goodbye, Dink. It's a James <laughs> Bond reference. Um in fact, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't this lead to a confrontation with Dink and Goons? It does. I think it's important, and visually, we uh, notice the the number of blinking cameras throughout the facility, which uh, are made to good use in this episode. Um, also, Simon's paranoia, which early plays upon some of our suspicion that, you know, they call this a hospital, but uh, don't let it fool you. But the the discussion about Dink, who murdered his uh, parents, the other uh, gentleman, Leo, who fried his brain on methamphetamines, and Tony, he's just an idiot. Uh, but Dink bumps into Danny um, and then amidst the talk of the uh, the 72 hours, it seems everybody's got a sad story that dates back to that. Simon had a little accident inside a pharmacy. 72 hours later, he's bipolar with mixed affective uh, disorder and, um, you know, layered it atop a, a uh, substance abuse disorder. Then uh, we learned that was two years ago. In the common room there, amidst air hockey tables and soda machines, we see uh, Billy, who uh, was living under a bridge. 72 hours later, he's a paranoid personality disorder. That was a year ago. And then uh, there's Jimmy, who was screaming at people in Times Square. 72 hours later, he's had uh, schizoaffective disorder. He's been there for 15 years, Matt. And the the one thing I've appreciated in this particular episode um, is the idea, you know, with the cameras and and you know the the way things are being laid out to us here. Yes, we can take them on face value, and I'm not saying this is the case, but it's with with Simon as the guide and the paranoia and, and Danny's fragile state, there's always the possibility that exists here that this is a setup as a hospital. We certainly know that the Meacham family would have the wherewithal to do this. Well, I feel like I, as, as somebody who has not seen past this episode, I feel like there's been the faintest whiff of that but each time they maybe throw that out there where it starts to form in your mind, there's then a counterpoint. Um, and I don't think if, if, if the desire is to kind of keep the theory alive, but you're not sure if you can believe it, then maybe that's not effectively carried off, at least through this episode. I, I think of how later on, you know, there's this, there's this ease with which uh, Harold has access to, to the cameras. Um, Okay, if that if that's meant to be a rough edge, that in an episode or two or five or ten, you come back and go, ah, 
you know, it's a rough edge because you were meant to be caught on it for a moment. It was meant to be sticky in your mind. Okay, good on you. Um, until then, there's kind of this, there's a grayness to it that's a little bit different than the the yin-yang of there's a mystery here or there's a possible mystery. Um, again, just a little little bit of mud here on the wheels. Well, moving forward here, the uh, the trio of of Dink and company reemerges, and uh, as Simon is just finishing up explaining that they get their meds every eight hours, keep them doped up like mindless donkeys. Dink her- hears that, takes exception to it, gets an apology out of Simon, but wants one out of Danny as well. Uh, not just for the insult, but for being alive. Takes a swing at Danny. Of course he misses. The orderlies jump in. It's then that Danny gets strapped in. And, you know, you were worried before about the administration of his meds. How about with the tongue depressor here before the edges get all hazy and he's out? Well, I suppose if we're going to hold this this hospital up to the, the, the layperson's light of the real world. And I say layperson because I'm no, I'm no doctor, but I, I mean, I kind of feel like if you want to show me bad, bad orderly, I mean, you can do that with orderly from Terminator two who licks Sarah Connor's face. That's bad. Using a tongue depressor to make sure meds get down the throat with a patient who at the very least was acting, was caught in the act of, of, of a violent action Again, I don't know what is medically appropriate or what is uh, AMA approved or that sort of thing. I I was kind of like, okay, that's kind of phase two. I don't know that that's – I don't look at that and say, proof, he's a bad, bad orderly. And he goes home and he, he you know, he beats his dog and he, you know, that kind of thing. You know, Pete, in fact, if anything, the, the, the larger concern to me was that um, in a little while we have, uh, we have Simon um, – uh ask Danny if he if he wants to to call anyone and um he's ready to call says Danny so so uh Simon unstraps him with zero consequences that's either story baloney or maybe old spoiler Pete is onto something that this hospital isn't quite what we think it is well Simon uh he's sympathetic here besides what are they going to do put him in a nut house uh, he gets Danny to the phone so he can call Chikara Dojo here, um, where Danny, of course, explains he needs help. This is the only person in Colleen that uh, uh, he can ask for help who doesn't want to kill him or stick him in a mental hospital. Um you know, that she can go ahead and ask the Meachams, you know, one of the richest families in New York. Must not be like that other family where all the security is right now. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's a situation where, uh, you know, she says, I'm sorry. And that's the end of that before we wind up at Harold Beecham's penthouse. Yeah, Harold is he's beaten the old boxing bag thing that, you know, you do to stay in shape, uh, especially when you have one hanging in your loft penthouse mansion thing uh, i'm sure lex Luthor had one on smallville let us know smallville fans uh i've seen it just not in a while uh regardless he shows ward the footage of danny um 
there's this notion, there, this question rather from Ward, you know, how are you getting this footage? Here we get the line from Harold. It's the 21st century. We're all connected. It's all connected now. It, it, it is all connected. I wonder if that was a callback, not to the show, but to uh, to Marvel head of television, Jeff Loeb, whose hand I have shook and shaked and shacked. Um, regardless of this line, Pete, on first blush, here's what I put in my notes. This is lazy writing. It means so little. Uh, Harold could have said, it's amazing what a bribe can do, or Kyle knows all the computer tricks. Just something to suggest ex- uh, extraordinary efforts. Not that the bad, rich man has access to all the cameras because he's a bad, rich man. I let that sentiment stand, asterisk, if it is revealed to be that this is some sort of Meacham... Uh, you know that this isn't a this isn't a uh, an up and up hospital that this is some sort of you know Meacham controlled you know private facility or something like that. I reserve the right to go back, but at the moment, that's such an out as to be no out. But to communicate these uh, ideas to Ward here about. Um, you know, talks about being rescued by two monks, anything's possible, but it doesn't make sense. There's no monasteries in that part of the world. Anywhere near the plane was lost. Um, un- unless, of course, uh, Kyle is an idiot who can't do simple research, Matt. And uh, I'm just going to tease. We we have a, a uh, it- it'll be a recurring uh, segment uh, called Kyle's Corner a little later in this episode. Ooh, that sounds fun. Um, we do have Harold uh, saying, this might be Danny Rand back from the dead. Um, also, we have Ward ready to ratchet things up quite a bit, ready to do a quasi-lobotomy, the modern equivalent of what that outcome would be. Um, later on, though, Ward is not prepared to outright off Danny uh my oh my aren't we kind of morally subtle or maybe having some writing issues i'm not quite sure where it is um anyhow to me that that kind of stuck out like a sore thumb a little bit but regardless harold sends ward one of his most trusted guys you know pete his own son his own flesh and blood it's like he's almost as good as 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 one of the other guys who as maybe, dad man <laughs> as, as dad or or you know maybe married into the family maybe owns uh, a, a newspaper himself whatever it might be ward is all he's 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 up there with with the jareds of the world and whatnot ward's gonna go uh go check on colleen wing for old pops there yes her dojo which is established here in chinatown um and to to get him obviously to interact with her because otherwise the the story threads kind of tenuous at this point back in the hospital we have danny chanting a uh, buddhist mantra he's back on the mountains there we see the the hawk which we can assume is shadow hawk for which this episode is named we get a flashback to the crash again that may be a little much <laughs> at this point um but then uh the the doctor dr edmonds wakes him okay and uh danny explains the drugs make him feel like he's underwater takes particularly high doses on danny uh because he's not been as cooperative as they like but here whether it's the meds or honesty he 
kicks in with the fact that he lied about the passport, uh, which Dr. Edmonds calls a step in the right direction. Are you ready to be John Anderson? Not just yet. Bought it in Morocco. It was stolen. He knows it's a federal crime, but it was the only way to get back in the States, Matt. It's getting tougher every day. This is all good progress, Pete. The doctor is going to discuss discuss more of this uh, at the next session. Now, more drugs. I got a little dark chuckle there. Um, Regardless, we go to Colleen's dojo. Ward is there, of course. Um, He offers basically honest testimony regarding the... uh, He he wants from her, rather. He he offers to reward that if she's going to talk about the Danny Rand threat. There also might be some money involved here for the old dojo. Um, Pete, now here's where you can tell me if I was focusing on the wrong thing. I just felt like all the close-ups of Colleen where her arms were crossed and her hands were in her armpits. And here it is after the end of a of a good workout session and whatnot. <laughs> I was just like, yucky, yucky, gross. Not that women can't sweat Pete. I think it's great that she's physically fit, physically active, and she doesn't need, you know, deodorant antiperspirant to smell like a woman because she's a small business owner. And that's the smell of hard work and sweat right there. I just don't like getting sweat, sweat on fingertips. I'm too attracted to Colleen Wing's uh, athletic purdiness that, uh, that, that, that can't enter into my mind. With Ward which I find really interesting. We've noted in the first episode that he withheld information from his father. And now it's his uh, use of actual uh, fact, not, not alternative facts, Matt. Uh, But, you know, explaining that Danny held a gun to his head, he could have made up whatever. Maybe it's a situation where the truth is better than the fiction, but his ability to deal with the actual events as opposed to fictionalizing it to make her feel threatened enough. Yes, we get it. She's, she's a sensei. She's a, a, a warrior. She trains others. She, she's not going to be intimidated. But, you know, he's, he's pulling out the big guns in the truth. <laughs> Sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction, Pete. Back we go to the hospital, or as you now have me thinking, the (laughs) hospital. Um, Danny with the doctor. They watch an old We Are Rand commercial. Um, The doctor is is painting it as, look, it's the happy family. We all must have times where we wish that we we could have that sort of existence, the rich, happy unified family want to want to slide on into it particularly with the the loss of the dead danny rand uh danny then fills in the behind the scenes there after the commercial was shot they they went to the circus at madison square garden uh that was a a a bribe by dad uh to get him to participate in the commercial and with that danny flips out and he's knocking stuff (laughs) off the desk and that's not cool bro and not helping to convince the doctor that you're actually stable and that your story is stable because you're flipping out. I like digging into the events of this particular day. It, it was quasi questionable when, hey, I found this commercial, which then triggers memory. But uh, I'll accept it in that it, it 
bears good fruit here. Um, the the story being with Joy having the popcorn and and then flipping out before and clearing off the guy's desk before he gets injected. But for Harold to witness all of this and note, as we talked before about hospital versus hospital, that, oh, you know, we got to get the one shrink that's trying to help this tortured, uh, possibly, um, you know, real person in Danny Rand. Um, and, and then I gotta say, I, I love the interplay, uh, Harold Meacham as a character. And, and there's so many bits on the edges, which we're going to talk about when we, um, you know, focus our chi and a little bit to, to look at the theories here, but, um, some, some, both mysterious and comedic uh, ideas flying around here. Yeah, I, I think you're referring to uh, how how Kyle says sorry a lot. He's sorry that the shrink actually cares. He's sorry that he said sorry that he's sorry that the shrink actually cares. With that, Harold starts to tell a story of how uh, when he would say sorry to his father, his father would take off his belt, Harold takes off his belt, uh, and his father would beat him. Now, I don't apologize for anything, says the blonde-haired rich person living at the top of a tower. Um, what was he made to apologize for, Matt? Uh, I think for saying he was sorry? No. What, not not Pete, Kyle. Not what, Kyle. Not Kyle. What, then you tell me, Pete. I'm going to pretend I don't was, know. What did Harold have to apologize for? Harold was made to apologize to his father for having to make him exert himself. Then Harold says, God, I miss him now. I did not fully, I, I did not take to the scene the way you did, Pete. To me, message message received that that harold too is has stuff pent up and he doesn't do clear off desks but he he has the threat um to me it was just a little there was a slight clunkiness to it where it's like i don't know like i i don't know the whole like him taking the belt off to punctuate it is he gonna have kyle is has kyle been a naughty boy like <laughs> it was it was just kind of like let me put it this way, Pete. It, it, it's like, don't take off the belt and not hit. Um, it's, at least story-wise. Like, it was just slightly weird to me. It's not a possible explanation, but it's yet another detail. As he was sitting at the desk watching this video, he's having some kind of uh, super green uh, shake or, or smoothie. Um, we, we know what green means in the, in the Marvel cinematic universe, Matt, and it's, it's never positive from an emotional standpoint. I'm not saying the two are linked, but you know, this penthouse that Harold's pent up in at this point in our, it's literally uh, a house of pent <laughs> exposure uh, to him. Yeah, we got we got to put this pent up guy someplace. Where basement? Uh, you know, can can we put him? Uh, you know, in a in a in an office park? No, a pent house. 
penthouse. But you know that he that he's drinking this. Um, you know that he that he that he snaps briefly here, and then you know really misses the the guidance and wisdom of a man who literally beat him with a belt. The the guy's not playing with a full deck, and he's the one evaluating the guy who may not be playing with a full deck, who's getting help from, you know, the, the most honorable psychologist in uh, Birch Mental Hospital. So, you know, the, the dynamics are at the very least interesting. I'm sorry, Pete. I'm sorry. We have to move on to the next scene. I'm sorry. Uh, Harold concludes this scene, though, by saying he's going out tonight. Gasp. Even though he never leaves the penthouse, um, which the I will. The four wheels, bring it around. That, listen, if you need to communicate to the audience that he doesn't normally leave, but of course Kyle would know that. So Kyle needs to say a thing to make it clear to the audience because Kyle's a proxy for the audience, even though that that's not 100% realistic. That is all made possible by Harold sneeringly saying that thing with the four wheels. That makes it, that makes the expositional nature of it all okay. That's the equivalent of, you know, sometimes the story needs to leave story pellets. And what you need to do as the writer is follow up those story pellets with like the dog rear leg kick to get the, to spread the leaves over. So you go, it's all natural. Speaking of story pellets here, Matt. You know, leaving the Rand uh, chemical and oil picture uh, from the uh, exact time in the video on your desktop and then looking through the file as you're packing up at the end of the day. What do you know? Let's 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 call apparently the richest family company in New York. And, you know, I'm a receptionist away from getting Joy Meacham on the phone to to share stories of, uh, you know, uh, commercial shoots in uh, Madison Square Garden to confirm a story, which I then have to be, uh, you know, coy about because uh, HIPAA and confidentiality. Um, I would be inclined to call Story Baloney with you, Pete, but there is evidence later on in the story that Joy actually runs a very progressive open door policy given that later on colleen just walks her keister on in to joy's <laughs> office so that's actually my way of saying of doubling down on the on the story baloney it's a double baloney sandwich nonetheless though pete danny wakes up to harold meacham like at the new york comic-con question for you pete were the harold close-ups blurry around the edges at new york comic-con because that's how i remember it Yes, and we also did not get um, this scene in its entirety the way that it was shown here. There were gaps missing, um, specifically the stuff, you know, he, he talks about the song, uh, yet it, it never gets as salty as it does there with our eighth S word of uh, the first two episodes. But, um, you know, they, they did mention the hand stuff, which I was kind of surprised that we got at New York Comic-Con back in October um, to connect them to this series. But none of the stuff about, um, you know, the, the monks of the Order of the Crane Mother, that uh, Kunlun is one of the seven capital cities of heaven. Um, all that stuff uh, not shown to us then. But uh, between 
the appearance, the unlikely appearance of a man Danny believes to be dead and the medicine uh, and the way that it's shot gives a, a particular quality to the scene. His place there, he explains, he was a warrior. Um, only in the middle of a fight did he fully come alive. Uh, the more he was hit, more focus. So here, Matt, it's Chekhov's beatdown. I wonder, here, here's just a theory, Pete. Maybe they did the original version where the Harold close-ups were blurry. And maybe somebody gave a note and said, I am confused or people could be confused that Harold is a real ghost since he looks kind of ghostly and now it's his first time outside stately Meacham Manor or something. I, I don't know. I liked it better blurry because it was more like it gave you put A it put you more in the head of Danny Rand and B the color palette that they are choosing, certainly for this episode. I, I must admit I didn't compare it closely to the last episode, but normally that's why you have one director of photography throughout a series in order to keep those things standard uh, director to director. But I digress. They're, they're kind of, these are, these are dark scenes, which I get that's, that's the aesthetic. It's a, you know, mental institution at night and so on and so forth, but it's kind of a rather bluish gray background. It, it was, it was better blurry. It kind of jazzed the scene up more. I, I don't know why they got rid of it, but um, just want to point out, Pete, in this scene too, we have back to back, different Meachams finding obscure Danny Rand stories, testing them either directly or indirectly with Danny Rand, him passing and not direct action occurring from it. Well, it's a scene where um, only Harold can gain and the trade is in information, you know, to, to get out of Danny that he's one of a long line of immortal Iron Fist, this living weapon, sworn enemy of the hand. Of who? What do you mean? But it's his duty to destroy the hand. He's the only one who can do it. And, um, you know, to, to put all of this together in this scene, uh, and then finally, with the way that Danny keeps nodding off, it's okay, you know, uh, go, go back to sleep. Um, and coming back to the penthouse to tell Kyle to look up everything he can on the Iron Fist, um, and then to find the handprint, Matt, on the outside of the penthouse with the message there, where did you go? So there was what seemed like recognition, but at the same time disbelief out of Harold with what Danny told him. And I just like the pace at which this this mystery with characters, you know, I, I find Harold to be the most interesting character on this show. It, it certainly is interesting how these mysteries are unfolding. In the next scene, we have the third consecutive scene in which a Meacham is using obscure Danny Rand stories in order to get to the bottom of things. Joy is unsure if Danny is Danny. She takes out some M&M. She's going to send them to him. We're not going to resolve it until a couple scenes later. We're going to play um, kind of MacGuffin uh, messenger M here. MacGuffin. Two M's in MacGuffin. <laughs> M, M in MacGuffin. Can you quickly explain to newer listeners what a MacGuffin is? 
A MacGuffin, of course, is an object of no true significance itself, but uh, through quests, through uh, exposition, through the journey, comes to move the old story along. We have that with the M&Ms. We also have that perhaps a bit less MacGuffin-y because there's, there's a little bit more of an objective value to it. But with the papers that Ward brings to Colleen to get signed, uh, which indeed he does the next scene, um, this comes with the more clarified position of uh, $50,000 on the table, the check right there, if, uh, if she will just simply sign the papers. Um, anything you want to cover, Pete, in the, the dojo scene before we head back to the hospital? Well, you know, just the the strategy that Ward had earlier, you know, in a neighborhood improvement fund, and now he's come with 50K and it's it's direct. You know, you can use this for whatever. Just say you were threatened by the guy. But he says he wants to keep everyone safe, his sister, him, you, even that man. And that man, Danny, is performing Tai Chi suddenly on a mountain. Flashback again with the plane stuff. <laughs> Um, and, and then, you know, uh, amidst the groaning, there's a special delivery from Joy Meacham and kind of brought out of it a little bit. Um, he chuckles, he's, he's looking at it. We don't understand at this point, the significance, but he's got a visitor. Is it Joy? Cause somebody always follows after they send a care package. Also the way in which he sorts those M&Ms, it's, He's sorting them like a madman. Um, particularly what are you trying to not, say, Matt? <laughs> well, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is he's acting as though he's been given one half of a two-way message, which story-wise he has, script-wise he has. Danny Rand, in his real existence, he has not. He's been sent a one-way package with no means to get it back, except knock-knock, next scene, Colleen Wing is here to visit Danny Rand. She shows him the papers. Can he be trusted? Yes, he can be trusted, for goodness sake. Danny happens to mention in passing, I don't know what their deal is. I only, you know, own a majority of the company. Um, Colleen calls the bribe a bribe. Um, and then she's handed the M&Ms to take to Joy. I made me wonder, Pete, was this scene simply an excuse to get the M&Ms in the hand of Joy? You can respond in a moment. Let me just preview the next scene. Cut to Colleen Wing handing the M&Ms <laughs> off to Joy. Personally. The, uh, yeah, the, the, the messenger service uh, back. Um, what I like about the previous scene is the interplay and to to get the two leads on uh, camera at the same time at, at this point in the series, you know, one and three quarters episodes in that's what it's about. Uh, Colleen wing being the, the fan favorite character at, at this point, And there's really no denying that, but for her to be unraveling this in a way that the others who are not quite clear on Danny's intent you know, he he says he is dangerous to them, but not to her, which I thought was an interesting moment of vulnerability for her to ask, are you dangerous to me? No, I'm not, um, you know, but uh, just wants to, to figure out what's going on. 
Well, Pete, what's going on, meanwhile, at, uh, at, at what's called the Tower, uh, is some good old leadership inspired by Lido Anthony Iacocca. That's Lee Iacocca, formerly the head of uh, Chrysler, who had a famous open-door policy for his workers. We see in this scene, Joy Meacham has employed it with all members of the public for Colleen Wing wearing that great dojo jacket of hers is able to saunter on in past the one secretary make her way to the 44th floor um easily without the rfid badge um and um and hand those m&ms off to joy um the scene at this point pete becomes one of double mcguffins ward's papers are there as are the m&ms all uh, but the brown m&ms matt Wait, they, what? Is this true, Pete? It, it is, and you've got to wonder, again, this was not written up this way, but it, it does play a certain way now. You mean excluding the brown ones from the, the rest of the, uh, the melting pot, as you might how, say? How, how can you not? I agree with everything that you said, Pete. There's no way, first of all, there's no way that the show set out intentionally to make that direct message. However, indirect? I could kind of see, I could see Ward Meacham sitting at his desk, thumbs up, as he says, you know, with with the Instagram uh, uh, or Twitter (laughs) caption, I like like most of these M&Ms, double thumbs up, happy M&M day. Um, Gee, do do you think? Um, and again, written well before this happened. But the the do you know of the uh, Trump child Skittles photo? No, I was referring to the Cinco de Mayo Taco Bell Taco Bowl incident, uh, which would have occurred during the production of this show. One of the Trump children um, tweeted out a picture uh, during the race. Um, during the the campaign, uh, to you know, talk about the the potential at that point for a ban, and uh, said, "Here's a bowl of Skittles. You know, these are Syrian refugees. Uh, you, you uh, imagine some of them are poison. Uh, are are you eating out of this bowl?" And it, I find it just fascinating the way that this has happened and it's going to be a question when when people are watching this series here on out you know oh i'm I'm going to watch all four series so i can watch the the big defenders thing later this year and new eyes get brought to this oh my god the thing they did with the m&ms and remember the trump kid with the with the uh, it's not baron i should should add uh, it was the Trump it was, adult child <laughs> the Trump adult adult child who was not Ivanka the one who seems uh, you know, to, to have easily the greatest judgment of, of all of his children. Um, but, you know, that M&M thing, I, I don't think you can escape the, the seeming significance of it in retrospect. I think regardless, Pete, I think now's a good time to hammer home the notion that, you know, while on the one hand, we're not, we're not making the Iron Fist podcast a, a, um, platform to discuss current events there's no way that this show made in new york in the last uh or you know that that finished that let's see that was produced from the spring of 2016 and concluded 
uh, production in, in, in October of 2016, let alone who knows what um, pickup shoots uh, or whatever you might have done. Um, how that must have been informed by the real world process. So if, if dear listener, you're sitting here going, you're making fun of my guy, he's the greatest ever. We're, he's gonna... we're not. I, and I truly mean that, you know, we're, we listen, everybody has bias, but again, to look at the subject matter of the show and not at least look at the way it plays purely from a coincidental standpoint, um, you can't argue isn't interesting. The scene concludes with Ward saying, let's not let this Danny Rand question mark out. We must wait and assess kind of again, at least with his sister uh, proposing a, a, a path of safety for all back to the hospital. We go doctor and Danny there. The 72 hours are almost up. The doctor has researched. What was your schooling like? I was homeschooled. Anyone else? He names three tutors, each of which get kind of a look down at the paper, smile, look down at the paper, smile. Yes, you're passing, you're passing, you're passing. Um, Where would one get the name of teachers that homeschooled a child? That would be really hard to come by, I found. Um, you know, just one other thing I wanted to mention in that scene, I, I found it uh, incongruous with, with Joy and Ward you know, he's the one who says we're going to keep him where he is. We'll get that full report and then we'll, we'll see what, what's going on. Um, but you know, she says, Joy says to, to be more like dad and to grow some testicles. Um, which can I just say, pardon me for interrupting Pete, that smacks of both. Like you should be more like dad, i.e. you're not man enough and you have no testicles, i.e you are a girl. I love that she hits it both ways that like, yeah, you're not a man because you're a boy and you're not a man because you're a girl. Boom. Take, take whichever one hurts more. Listen in the, in the Meacham pecking order, as far as, uh, interests, it's, you know, Harold and, and then, you know, of, of the two kids, joy is very clearly <laughs> the, the more watchable of the two ward, uh, and it does get noted in the next episode, Matt, uh, doesn't smile. <laughs> That's his <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I appreciate uh, where it's coming. They don't they don't seem like particularly easy characters to 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 write necessarily. But, you know, the, the whole thing with the with the homeschooling and, you know, that, that he went down to. Uh, down the, the the hallway to the library, mom taught him and these other people, but uh, he wasn't in China. He was in Kunlun, which I, I particularly enjoy the, the way that the mental hospital angle turns sideways here. He's bought in that this is Danny Rand. We, we believe you now, but where have you been for the last 15 years? And this is where it's going to get you know, for want of a better term, cuckoo, you know, oh, well, Kunlun exists in another dimension and only appears on this earthly plane every 15 years, give or take, you know, Matt, depending on the celestial tilt. But if he focuses his chi, he can, he can summon the iron fist. Wait, summon the what, Pete? The iron fist. Wait, can I go, can I, the iron fist? Because in can I the go now? In the course of the conclusion of this scene, starting with the 
hey, you are Danny Rand. Wait, then he turns it. And when he, from when he mentions Kun Loon to the end of the scene, the phrase Iron Fist is mentioned nine times. It's the name of the show, man. I mean, come on. I agree, but it's like, I can summon the Iron Fist. The Iron Fist? What's the Iron Fist? I could be the Iron Fist. It was like, can we, can we just do a quick editorial pass here to maybe sit and go, I mean, you're going to invoke gently in a little bit the incident and superheroes and whatnot. Can we at least get Iron Fist? That sounds like one, that sounds like a superhero name. Or I could. There's a guy who has a suit who might not like that name. Just some some kind of uh, thing other than Iron Fist. Iron Fist. You know, it's it's a roll credits moment times nine. Regardless, though, Danny Rand here is 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 blowing what was you know about to be his his ticket out of there. Um, it's a nice twist. Indeed, as the incident is mentioned, people, it, it's suggested by the doctor that that now that we live in this post-incident world, people are snapping, or when people snap, they're kind of inventing these powers, they're inventing themselves as superheroes, which I I buy that as a phenomenon in the MCU. Absolutely, and you know, whether it's powers or secret identities or iron fists, Matt, they make us feel strong, they make us feel special. But now we've got a medical label for Danny. Okay. Some sort of anxiety disorder with psychotic features, but Hey, it's good news that now we can treat it. Um, but, but with this false, uh, you know, prediction, it's, it's going to take time. Um, and, you know, the, the, for his safety, for everybody else, it, it can't happen. Uh, but, but it is the truth. He has the power of the iron fist, Matt. He just needs to focus that chi to summon the power into his hand to create a powerful weapon. Um, it's a new one. Dr. Edmonds admits. (laughs) So you know what? Show me, show me what you got. The response here is convenient, perhaps a little tropey, you know, uh, it can't be summoned while he's being while he's on the drugs. It's it's su- suppressing the chi. I hope the bad guys don't find that out, Matt. What are we gonna do? He's he's the only one who can defeat the hand when the hand gets their hand on a bunch of drugs. And I don't mean to be uh, either ignorant or disrespectful to to real. Um, uh, suppressants or, or, or things of that sort that, that that actually exist in the real world of psychiatric medicine. But whatever he's on, I mean, this is not, you know, like knock you out for 12 hours. Uh, I, I don't doubt that it, it takes the edge off things and it makes him feel like he's underwater and whatnot. But, you know, it's not like this is, it's not like this is like a, a rhino dart. And if that's all it takes and you're the hand, it's like, hey, all we need to do is get, you know, go down to the zoo, break into the, the, the the lion keepers uh office there and and we can take out uh danny rand regardless though pete we have harold watching all of this he believes in iron fist 10 um and uh it's then repeated that uh that um or pardon me the threat of the hand is repeated by by showing that handprint it seems that there is your uh there is your strange bedfellows with harold wanting to believe in the iron fist yeah and between uh, Kyle noting that there's no other record than a beer and a clothing line. 
Um, it is a it is a genuine mystery. And again, that handprint. Where did you go? Um, but the uh, the Rand meeting here um, with uh, with Joy, um, the the property that they're purchasing that's going to bring them uh, domestic uh, inroads and uh, value down the line, uh, handing off the prospectus. And I thought it very interesting what uh, in Ward's iPhone, uh, Harold has the code name. You, you surely caught it, Matt. Stein, comma, Frank N. Yes, um, which I think is only going to get more interesting and uh, to to take the call here sounds a little testy, Dad notes. Uh, but you know we're we're buying this warehouse in Brooklyn just like you wanted, you know. But hey, this is more important. We need to we need to stash this this Danny Rand. I think it could be him. Um, you know, whatever we do, we we have to uh, take care of him. Don't you realize how important he could be to me? He's the sworn enemy of the hand saying it like uh, Ward should recognize it, um, which I thought was really important as well. He could be of real value to me. We're going to put him in that, twice, by the way. Yes. We're going to put him in that place and that, that house in Long Island on the water, you know, uh, but we're going to do it. And what do you know? Ward gets off the phone. He pops a pill. And uh, second time in two episodes, he is, not truthful with his father he instead changes the plans with the patient and we think we see that we think we see dad's uh dad's will being put in place uh as he as he calls for the change in plans at the hospital danny is being moved in a straight jacket it's hospital policy but hey good news pete he's he's off to uh that house on the water Though he's taken to uh, to Dink and the other goons and beaten, Pete he seems he seems energized by these hits. His his jaw set. His his uh, I don't know a sense of recognition there. And um, Ward Meacham sends his regards. Boom! With that, we see the fist start to glow through the straight jacket. The, the moon fist- and and the hawk in front of it as well. The the shadow um, being important there as. Those those facial shots establishing that he's he's working into that state he mentioned before, and he's able to to make that fist come alive. It glows. He pushes the orderly out of the way, and then he runs towards that door there, jumping and then punching down, busting it out completely. Harold watches this, and then. Uh, his right hand stops glowing as he steps onto the street and runs off. Sparring partners, let's look at who Danny had to contend with in this episode. Pete, first up on the list is Simon, who starts things with a uh, with a, well medical medical malfeasance, you might say, and a fork to the throat. And again, you don't want it to be a situation. It's a, it's a very fine line as a writer and as a series. You don't want to be poking fun at uh, mental patients. Yet to be able to have a scene like this unfold and it's believable, it's interesting, 
And Simon, somebody who who starts as a sparring partner, ultimately becomes an ally. Next on the list is Ward, who uh, still has yet to show any sort of allegiance, perhaps other than uh, to himself, uh, perhaps grudging allegiance to his father and to his sister. Uh, And Pete, most interestingly to me, popping those pills. Yeah, and at this point, a rather one-note character. He scowls and he doesn't do uh, anything but what he wants, whether he's directed by his father or being admonished by his sister. Third on the list is Dink. Pete, say hello to Dink. Hello, Dink. Uh, Dink, the leader of the characters I like to call the sisters in honor of uh, the Shawshank Redemption. Wow. <laughs> little different as far as uh what goes on there um i don't know whether dink donkey whether that was intentional or coincidental um with with what happened there with their first uh you know verbal uh altercation but that he he drops the shoulder into danny this is your classic uh bully type albeit in a a mental institution um you know he he is a murderer though he did kill his parents with a hammer so he's certainly somebody to be feared and believable in the way that um he's taking it out at danny the end of the episode and uh doesn't summon but rather awakens the iron fist say goodbye dink Last is Harold, who uh, who leaves the penthouse after this this great mysterious amount of time, and uh, I feel like Pete. I'm not sure at this point through these two episodes whether he is friend or foe. Certainly, he's currently in between uh, of the Iron Fist. I just like watching David Wenham chew it up. Um, one of my favorite film performances of of the last. 10 years was his character in 300. Um, you know, the, the one-eyed poet warrior, uh, don't even know his name. Don't really care. I just love his narration in the film and, and everything he adds to it. And that, you know, he, he's in this Bond-esque villain, uh, locale yet, you know, uh, he, he's, he's stepping out to see Danny, who's a threat. He's gaining information from him. There, there are things at the margins of his life that are highly mysterious. Um, I'm a fan. Time to focus our chi and look inside this episode. Pete, you said that so serenely, and one of the best theories you've come up with in this uh, in this new Iron Fist podcast uh, is the idea that the hospital is all a sham, and we shouldn't believe what we see, and it's all going to be, you know, Riker and the mental institution phasering his mirror as it shatters into other mental institutions. Pete, the insanity! Well, then he busts down the door at the end and runs off. Listen, there's far more to support this is an actual mental hospital, but that that reinforced door, you know, and and not quite, you know, the medical park around it, but kind of like an out of the way industrial area, it it, at least kind of supports that. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm saying that that's how it appears potentially in this episode. 
I like to think that I am watching objectively and in a vacuum. I am, of course, aware of some of the negative buzz that uh, that the show has gotten. We all are, and I, I think we've talked ourselves a, about that. But again, you know, we're we're going to confront good, bad, indifferent in terms of this show, and I think Matt and I, and yeah, I think I can speak for Matt in this. This show through these first two episodes is nowhere near as bad as it had been criticized. I would agree, particularly if later on some of these, as I said a while ago, if some of these rough edges are revealed to actually be sore thumbs sticking out. So you notice them for the grand reveal later on. So I think time will tell. Matt, who left the where did you go handprint outside the penthouse of Harold Meacham? Uh, I would guess a member of the dastardly hand. <laughs> who Lastly. used his or her hand. <laughs> and now, Pete, a semi-recurring segment, a little something we like to call Kyle's Corner. Well, Matt... It was almost midnight. I, I had been dismissed, but really it made no sense to go home. I was doing some research. And uh, just before I had uh, been told to get the thing with the four wheels um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, noticing that the Iron Fist is both a, a beer and, and a clothing line, I got to thinking, you know, the the whole thing with – uh, Harold Meacham is predicated on why does he need to be in this penthouse and that there has been a uh, message sent to him, which I, Kyle, did not see left because, of course, I was with uh, Harold. Um, certainly something to think about. Let's look at some messages from the mystical city of Kunlun. Pete, a couple of tweets here. The first one from Roger Robertson. That's Roger Robertson one on uh, on Twitter. Uh, he says, after watching uh, Iron Fist, I think Finn is fine for Defenders uh, and uh, Luke Cage season two, but I don't need Iron Fist season two. Want Daughters of the Dragon? So uh, a little bit of a little bit of a interesting claim there. Yeah, and. I mean, listen, there's definitely a lot of buzz, particularly the way that uh, Jessica Hennick really fronted a lot of the uh, visual promotion heading into the, the last little bit um, repping the show. So we'll have to see. Pete, a tweet from our pal. Mary Kirk, that's at Geek Kirk. She says, spoiler, Pete, you got to get over the Lord of the Rings issue. Uh, she adds a little rolling on the floor there. Hashtag Iron Fist podcast. Pete, will David Wenham have you, when when this is all done, uh, will, will, uh, will you watch the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings trilogy just for fun? No. Oh, okay. Pete, last tweet here. I hesitate to read it. It's not quite spoilery, but if you are spoiler-reverse, why don't you jump ahead about 30 seconds. Tweet from uh, Bike BRH, who says, so if... 
Uh, pardon me, that's not if it's Iron Fist. So Iron Fist happens before Jessica Jones, right? Uh, then he, I, I don't want to read what's there. I don't want my eyes to look at it, but reference as to some scar continuity. Uh, Pete, anything you want to say, or should we just stick a pin in that for a future discussion? I do not think it takes place uh, prior to Jessica Jones. Pete, taking place all the time, though, is uh, the fact that this podcast and all the entire uh, pantheon of Fantastic Geek podcasts are supported on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. want to thank our patrons there for helping keep the lights on. Pete, we run things efficiently. That's why half the lights are on, just like Colleen Wings Dojo. Absolutely. And big shout out to uh, Mary Kirk there, LMD Mary, who uh, contributes at the level that she does. Pete, coming in at the freebie level, though, is interacting with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9090. Followers can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast 24-7, 365. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P and the H. FantasticGeek at gmail.com. FantasticGeek.com. FantasticGeek on Instagram and Twitter as well. But wait, Pete, is there more? Facebook.com forward slash FantasticGeek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. Like it away. With that, Pete... I will say goodbye to all our listeners and give you not the final word, but the final song. And I am dead, as dead I well may be. And you will come and find the place where I am lying. 